Tales from Mortimer Poe. Mortimer Poe, the half-dead raven, is a distant cousin to Hunan and Munin, the ravens that bring tales of the world to Odin. But Mortimer, born outside the window of Edgar Allan Poe, only brings tales of worlds that aren't real to the ears of those who want to explore alternate realms of possibility. Today, Mortimer brings you the tale of Evil Queen. I ordered my daughter's death calmly, as my stepmother had been when she ordered mine. Bring me proof, I said to the mercenary as the mirror across the chamber threw a flash of light into my eye. I blinked it away. I need to hold her severed head and heart in my hands. I didn't want to see my daughter's dead face. I only asked for the head to make sure he didn't cheat me the way the huntsman had cheated my stepmother. The mercenary bowed his head and accepted my terms. Yes, your majesty. Had I caught a contemptuous gleam in his eyes? It didn't matter. I knew what he thought, what everyone would think. Evil queen. When the huntsman abandoned me in the forest because my stepmother demanded my heart, I'd thought it of her, too. I was so innocent then. Being princess was easy. Being queen changes you. The mercenary departed, and I collapsed onto the soft feather bed. The fire had died down in the hearth, but I didn't get up to stoke it back to life. If I sat perfectly still, I wouldn't have to feel anything. The chamber's cold air would preserve my heart for just a few minutes more. A knock interrupted my stillness. I collected myself enough to rise from the bed and open the door. The magistrate stood there with a piece of paper in his hand. Your Majesty, I apologize for disturbing you, but your presence is required at a trial in court. Go ask my husband. I pushed on the thick wood to shut myself back into my chamber. The magistrate put up a hand before the door could shut him out. His Majesty was called into war council when a messenger from the front arrived. It is a case involving the royal quarter. Only His Majesty or yourself can preside. The life of a queen. All death and taxes. All right, I conceded. I followed him down the corridor to the court and settled into the throne behind the magistrate's seat. I didn't want to think but as the magistrate droned through the formalities, memories flashed through my mind. The huntsman's face against the dark woods, red deer's blood as it dripped from his blade, the terror of being alone in the dark. My heart raced as I worked to keep my face calm, my body still, while my little girl died. Your Majesty! The farmer's eyes skipped over the magistrate's head to look at me. My grain got the blight. The harvest was only enough to keep my family from starving during the winter, so when the soldiers came, I hid my grain. Would you punish me for saving my children? I looked directly at him for the first time. Thin, yes, with an unhealthy pallor which showed he wasn't quite well. The children huddled around his wife looked hungry. The youngest bore the bloated belly of near starvation, 
She cradled a baby in her arms, its sweet face emaciated. They might still lose the baby. Rage cut through my numb shock. It was all I could do to keep a regal tone instead of shrieking at him. You've admitted to this court you knew of your obligation and deliberately attempted to hide the quarter of your grain that rightfully belonged to the king's army. You are guilty by your own testimony. It is my obligation as queen to punish you. I stared at the toddler's distended belly button as he clung to his mother. I tried to raise a hand to pronounce sentence on the farmer, but it trembled too much for me to control it. You will be publicly flogged until you are dead. No one can be allowed to escape their obligations. Not a farmer, not even a queen. I rose from my seat as they dragged the farmer away. His wife screamed while the crowd looked at each other in silence. As I walked away, I heard the word evil muttered around me. Me? Evil? What about him? That selfish farmer thought that feeding his own family was more important than feeding the soldiers who protected everyone's families. If I'd allowed him to live, the other men would refuse to pay their taxes, and soon there would be no king's army. Let them call me evil. I sacrificed my own child to save them. How dare that farmer ask me to spare him when he would rather doom the entire kingdom than lose one of his own. No one prepared me for what it would be like to be queen. Not my father, who made sure I never heard the terrible things being done in his name. Not my mother, who died before I was old enough to remember her. Not even my charming prince. I strode down the corridors to find my husband. I needed to know what news the messenger had brought to send him straight to the war council chamber. I hoped I hadn't sent my daughter to her death for nothing. Marrying the prince made me queen seven years ago. As the inaugural act of our reign, we executed my stepmother. At the time, it seemed just. She begged me to spare her, but she refused to tell me why she tried to kill me. That, she told me just before she died, I would discover soon enough. My husband thought she meant it as a threat. Yet I heard pity in her voice, even then. I remembered how in those last days my stepmother, too, kept herself aloof. I never saw her weep or smile or display any emotion at all. Now it broke my heart to think maybe, in spite of how it looked, she really had loved me. One thing being queen teaches you is love doesn't matter anymore. You have greater responsibilities. I paused outside the war council chamber to listen. The front to the west will fall, someone told my husband. We can't hold it. Their army tripled in size. Don't bring me failure, my husband said. Tell me how we can win. I sighed in relief. It wasn't too late, not yet. I moved to stand in the doorway. On the table, little figures painted white marked where our army stood. Enemy figures in red surrounded them on three sides in an angry swarm. I frowned at the white figures on the table. The men around the table all looked at each other. My husband's jaw set as he saw their hopeless faces. No, I will not accept that we have lost. 
things are still quiet in the east, there's a fallback position. I couldn't let this go on any longer. I walked into the room. Leave us, I told the counselors. They looked at each other uncertainly. My husband nodded, and they filed out. Another thing you learn when you become queen? No one obeys you if your husband is in the room. Even when he's being an idiot, they won't follow my order without looking at him first. Darling, I said as soon as they were gone, look at the map. I pointed to the wide open fields between the western mountain passes and our castle. Once they get past the mountains, there's nothing to stop them. We simply don't have enough troops. I... I don't see a way out. He covered his eyes with his hand, elbow resting on the arm of the chair. I stroked his hair, my heart sinking. I do. He looked up and leaned over the map on the table. How? It took me a moment to suppress a sob before I answered. I couldn't let him suspect what I had done. Just let me take care of it. My husband looked at me and smiled. I may be king, but it's you that keeps the kingdom running. Maybe if I'd let you handle this war from the beginning, we wouldn't be in this position. No, I thought. If it wasn't for me, you wouldn't be in this position. I patted him on the hand and hurried out before he could ask me anything more. I fled to the nursery, where my newborn son lay sleeping in his cradle. He stirred as I drew near, turning his head from one side to the other. I waved it to the nanny to stay in her chair. I looked down at him with a sigh. This boy was my husband through and through, from his light brown curly hair to the fleck of a birthmark on the side of his neck. My daughter looked like me, brilliant white skin that never showed a blemish, and deep ebony hair. I leaned down to kiss him. The nanny whispered fiercely, You better let him rest, your highness. He had colic all day and just got to sleep. I stood up without disturbing him. The kiss didn't matter. I only wanted it for me. He would never remember it. Seized by inspiration, I went to find my mother's portrait, the one my father commissioned after their wedding. As a girl, I spent hours studying her face. My father insisted the paint captured her eyes perfectly. I looked into those eyes again. If that was true, my mother hadn't had what it takes to be queen. She had a princess's eyes, all beauty and light, sheltered from life's uglier truths. I reached out and covered them with my hands. I turned away from my mother and saw the outline where another portrait had sheltered the wall. Years ago, my stepmother's portrait hung there. I destroyed it, but now I wished I could study her eyes as carefully as I studied my mother's. My stepmother, she had been a peasant. The harsher realities of life held no mystery for her. So when she discovered my parents' secret, she didn't shy away from what she had to do. Her mistake was trusting someone weak, someone who couldn't finish the job. Emboldened by the memory of my stepmother, I went back to my chambers. 
I was queen, not some squeamish princess. I had the strength to see this through. Alone in my chamber again, I found the glass vial I'd hidden in my jewelry box. I had everything I needed, except my daughter. I paced in front of the mirror, hoping I had not made the same mistake as my stepmother. A soft knock sounded. I opened the door and waved the mercenary inside. He handed me a covered basket without saying anything. I saw the disgust on his face. I tore open the top and stared down. My daughter's head filled the woven wicker. My heart stopped for a moment in grief. Yet I had no time to coddle my emotions. I reached in and shifted it aside, looking for the heart. I found it hidden in a tangle of hair, still glistening with her blood. I set the basket carefully on the floor and tugged a gold ring set with rubies from my finger. The mercenary palmed his payment and left without a word. I sat on the floor next to the basket and lifted out my daughter's heart. I placed it next to me gently. I picked up the basket to move it away. As I did, I saw her face through a gap at the top. Even in death, her skin shone, soft and more beautiful than mine. Her hair, dirty and coated with blood, still gleamed in the light. I reached in and touched it with my finger. My gorgeous girl. She would always be a princess now, spared from the terrible fate of being queen. I placed her head on the floor by the heart. I wanted the bastard to see her beautiful face. I wanted him to share my grief at what I had lost. I crossed to the mirror. Tall and plain, when I found it in my stepmother's chambers after her execution, I thought she brought it with her from her farm. Now I realize she must have found it in my mother's chambers after she moved to the palace. I pulled out the slip of paper tucked between the glass and its rickety frame, then voiced the incantation. The mirror lit with a cold light. A face appeared in the glass. How dare you summon us, he said. I have something to say to you, I told him. I have no patience for your begging. We will not bargain. You stole our magic. It must be returned to us. A disembodied hand appeared to wave me off. I will return it, I said. All I ask is you stop your armies before they cross the mountains. The face nodded. I moved away from the mirror and sat again next to my daughter, tears dripping from my chin to the velvet of my gown. When the face saw my daughter's head on the floor, he smiled. I gripped the delicate glass vial in my hand harder, angry with him for that smile. We didn't take your magic, I protested, laying my free hand on my daughter's head. I know, he told me, but you wouldn't exist without it. Your parents had no right to steal our magic from us to make you. Our people are dying. We barely had enough magic to activate the mirror. 
we can't let you keep it. He knew all about obligations, too, it seemed. Beside me, light, like the kind coming from the mirror, streamed from my daughter's heart. My own heart beat harder, as if it could make up for what poured away from hers. I touched my own face, the sin of my father and my mother, literally made flesh in me. I rubbed away the tear tracks on my cheeks. I was queen. Evil, perhaps, but I would not beg to be released from my duty like that farmer. I would meet it as the queen I had become. The face looked at me expectantly. In answer, I lifted the glass vial and drank the poison inside. I heard my son crying down the hall. As I felt the poison's fire spread through my body, I hoped my son's stepmother would be a real bitch, a woman well prepared to be queen. <coughs> Mortimer's Tale, Evil Queen, was written by Erica Kaler. It first appeared in Under a Dark Sign, published by Wolfsinger Publications and available at Amazon.com. Mortimer's narrator was Erica Kaler. Sound effects provided by freesoundlibrary.com.